Bethel World Outreach Church. Reaching a city to touch the world. January 15, 1929, my life was changed. Now, I know you're saying you weren't born, but there was someone born named Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who has such an impact on the world that it impacted my life. Everyone in this room has some story at some point, whether you are a grade school student, a college student, or a full-grown adult, where the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. has impacted you. The way he lived, the way he loved, the way he uh, challenged injustice, we all have benefited from it. I believe one of the ways we celebrate his life, uh, which his birthday is tomorrow, is not just by going on marches, which are fine, or, or reading his book or hearing his speeches, but trying to live a life like he did for Christ. He would say, darkness can't drive out darkness, neither can uh, hate drive out hate. It's gonna take light to drive out darkness, it's gonna take love to drive out hate. So we can go and do like Christ said, be a light to the world, and love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors ourselves. And guess what? The world will change, and you can change the world just like Dr. King did. Now, as you listen to the Word of God today, I want it to change you. And the speaker for the day is Carlos Antonio. This man is amazing. He also loves God, and the light of God is resident on the inside of him. So I want you to fasten your seatbelt, sit back, relax, as Carlos preaches a message that will be life-changing and inspiring. Hey, Carlos, it's your turn. God bless. <laughs> See you soon. Got it, Pastor James. Good morning, everybody. Can we just give a big hand to the worship team? I, I mean, <laughs> Pastor Will, week in and week out, helping us enter the presence of God. Thank you so much. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to... 2 Corinthians chapter 9, that's where we'll be in today. And while you're turning there, I just want to thank Pastor James and Bishop Rice for the privilege to be able to minister the word today. Um, they're not with us because they are out ministering right now. And I, I just want everybody to recognize how much of a privilege it is to be able to be a testimony and a light to the ministry of reconciliation that we have the privilege of living out in this local church every single day. You know, the Bible talks about being a light to the world, and truly, that your testimony as a local church is resonating to the greater body of Christ out there. Not just this local church, but even the, the movement that Bishop Rice and Pastor Steve founded, and Bethel was a founding member of that. You know, um, I'm, I'm privileged to be part of a movement called Every Nation, where not only are we talking about reconciliation of, you know, black and white, but we're looking at a vision in Revelation where a day will come where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. People from every tribe, tongue, nation, language, worshiping one God. Amen? And that's what all of you represent. Just what a privilege. Amen? All right, if, you have, if you're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, can you stand up with me? And we're going to read the word together. We stand in reverence to the word of God. Let's give this a try. Let's see. And, to, and there. Does it work? I'll try it one more time. Just yeah, Okay. Well, follow with me. All right. So 
2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It is living. It is active. It is able to divide between soul and spirit. May it cut us today. What a powerful word. It doesn't just encourage us. It transforms us. We receive your word as such. And Lord, we speak again and pray for Bishop Rice and Pastor James as they minister. May the testimony of your gospel being a ministry of reconciliation permeate beyond just their scope. Thank you for the platform you've given them to share of how your, gra- your gospel transforms lives, changes cultures, reconciles those that seem irreconcilable. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We're in a series called Amazing Grace. We began the year fasting and praying and talking about this. In fact, all over the world, in every nation churches, this same series is being talked about right now. Grace is such an important concept in Scripture. But so often we use the term so quickly without a great deep grasp of what the Bible actually means about it. And so it's such an amazing passage that we just read, and it's one that is really dear to my heart. So we're going to talk about what that is all about. Last week, Dr. Dave Ward just had an amazing message about how we are justified by grace. And if you, had a, if you weren't here and you missed that, please do go online and watch it. It was foundational. It was so critical. So I'm taking from that, and we're looking at the verse that we just read. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. It was one of the verses that, as a young Christian at the age of 16, it was one of the verses I quickly memorized. The moment I chanced upon it, I said, wow, what a verse. God is able to make all grace abound to me so that all things at all times, having all that I need, I can abound in every good work. I mean, I was like, this is a power verse. You know, somebody had taught, somebody had taught me that what you need to do is you need to learn to pray scripture. And so I was like, I got to memorize this passage. And if you look at it again, you know, looking at the verse we just read, it says that God is able to make all grace abound to you. So the way I use it is I quickly memorize it. And whenever I had a need, I would say, God, you said that you are able. How do you know God is able? Oh, man, this is one of those verses you got to keep in your pocket. You know, it's like, God is able. And so when I, I, you know, I was 16, I, I, there's things I needed. I was like, Lord, you are able to make all grace abound to me. I know I didn't get to finish my assignment last night, but you, you are able Okay, I have a 7 o'clock class. I woke up at 6.40. It's going to take me a miracle to get to school on time. But you are, you're able in all things, at all times, with anything that I need. I will abound in every good work. What a verse. This is the blank check of Scripture. I can God ask God for anything with this verse. How do you know God's word is true? How do you know God doesn't say one promise that he doesn't fulfill? How do you know 
God is not a liar. Now, here's my experience. God didn't give me everything I needed that I said, God, I needed this. He didn't always give it to me. And that's where I started to look at this first angle. Eh. God, are you really able to make all grace of mine? It's a nice quotable verse. But many times I was like, you know, I'm late for school. God, you know, you love me. And you said, if I could command mountains to move, it'll move. All I need is an Uber to come and pick me up right now. <laughs> I mean, that's all I need. And so I claim it in Jesus' name. Here it comes. And, and just, it, it, I wouldn't get one on time. And I'd be late. And I'd be a bad testimony. And I'm like, man, was God really able? Why wasn't he there when I needed him? At this point, I think it's important to go, what I was doing was probably abusing scripture. I'm a communications major. My, my work today is about communications. I was doing, as a new Christian, what I today call Twitter theology. <laughs> you know, in Twitter before, when they launched it, you can only put oh so much before you post something on Twitter. Like, it was limited to 140 characters. So when you look through your feed, there's a verse. It's like, ooh, that's such a nice verse. That's tweetable. And what I was doing, I didn't know, you know, what I was doing was I was reading my Bible, and every time I'd see something that was tweetable, I would grab it and make it mine. And I'd use it back on God. God, you said. In communications, that's called taking things out of context. Let me give you an example of what that means. You know, when we moved here, there were certain slang terms that I didn't understand because didn't, we didn't use it. So I was working with a team, and we were evaluating a design. And one of the people I was working with, you know, they were telling me, Carlos, come here. Tell me what you think about the design. They invited this other guy to come up, and he was two decades younger than me, right? So, so they, we were all looking at that, and then he said this. He goes, oh, man. That's sick. I'm staring at him because I've never used the term. I've never heard the term. And I'm like, I looked at the design and I thought, man, my design skills must be off because I like this design. <laughs> but this other guy just said this was sick. So I did what every good communicator did. I took a step away and read context. I looked at context clues started to watch the interaction. And what I found out was, you know, in my mind, there were two options here. Either he's really saying, this thing is disgusting, that's sick. Or he actually meant the opposite, that it was fantastic, it was great. Kind of like the way my generation said, man, you know, when you said, um, when you said that was cool, when you meant it was hot, or when you said, I'm bad, but really what that meant was, you're good, you know, so, and so I was watching that, and I'm going, oh, when he said, man, that was sick, he meant, that's the best, that's amazing, but what I needed was context to understand what he meant, and so for this verse, which I was abusing, how you know, I think it benefits me and benefits us if we took a look at the context, all right, so what is the context of this verse? Let's look at chapter 9, verse 6, and it starts to give us clues to what the writer 
was really trying to say. And I highlighted that there in verse 6. It says, the point is this. So the verse that I kept quoting, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that all things at all times, having all you, you will abound in every good work, was in a much larger context. And as I read it, I realize it's on the tail end of a much larger conversation. He was concluding something, and the verse I was quoting from was part of a conclusion. He was saying, the point is this. And then the idea of sowing and reaping started to show up. I'm like, whoa, what is this? Even looking a few verses back, I couldn't quite get the full picture. So we have to go a few verses back further. In fact, we need to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and start off in verse 1. What was Paul talking about? He was actually challenging the Corinthian church on generosity. We're talking about grace here. How are we now talking about money and generosity? Well, let's find out. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. It says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Here again is that same idea of God, the God's, God's grace abounding. But it starts off with the example of this church who was in severe trial, experiencing extreme poverty. Who were the Macedonian churches? You'll recognize their names if you've been reading scripture. Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. And he was saying, these Macedonian churches, they were in poverty, but God's grace abounded, and it resulted in generosity. Okay? Think about that. How... Thus, severe trial plus extreme poverty result in abundant joy and rich generosity. It says God's grace was given to them. We want to learn grace. We need to pay attention to these two chapters in Scripture. You know, the word grace gets used in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 eight times. Just in those two chapters alone. This is a chap- these two chapters are definitely about God's grace. And what is the relationship of the grace of God and generosity? All of a sudden, my favorite verse was starting to not be so fun to quote for me, I was like, ooh, now we're talking about what I need to give. I was quoting a verse so that God would give me things. Ouch. In fact, later on, because he was challenging the Corinthian churches with example of the Macedonian churches. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, he says, but since you excel in everything, he was telling the church, you are amazing at a lot of things. You excel in faith, you excel in speech, you excel in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you. Just as you excel in all that, see also that you excel in the grace of giving. He's encouraging the church to give, and he was saying this, the Macedonians, even though in their poverty, they gave generously. 
I was going, man, I, am, I would never in any way describe my situation to be in extreme poverty. Now, in the Philippine context, just for reference, 90% of the population there, if you really study that, people would say, would be considered poor. Okay, a college graduate would, you know, try to get a good job after a degree, would probably make anywhere from $180 to $200 a month. That's a good job. And so as reference point, when we talk about poor, you know, it's very possible that when I was dealing with this, I was probably dealing with numbers and quantities very different from what people in this nation would consider poor. We don't have medical to handle situations where you can't afford something, and yet you can still get some kind of help. You have to rely heavily on community to make up for the difference, which many times you start off with a difference. Yet, even though I was better off than a lot of the people in my context, I couldn't say I could have abundant joy, and I couldn't say I would well up in rich generosity. This verse was challenging to say the least, painful, if I was honest, something I didn't like to read because every time I read it, it pricked me somewhere deep. I love the grace of God, and yet the grace of God hurts me because it tells me I have to live out in a way that it was just hard to do. So now back to the verse that I was quoting, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 to 8, he's, he goes back and he says, so the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, here's the only part where we're actually told to do something. Verse 7, and it's a verse right before the verse I kept quoting. The promise. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He was concluding. He was saying, when the generosity of God, when the grace of God hits you, something's going to happen. You will become a cheerful giver. And then you're going to learn to sowing and reaping. And you're going to know, when I sow sparingly, I'm going to reap sparingly. But when I sow bountifully, I'm going to reap bountifully. He was saying, therefore, just remember this. God's able to make all grace abound to you. Practice cheerful giving because God is able to make all grace abound to you. And I stop and stop and that verse, I go, you need to learn to, verse 7, give as he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. The root word, the Greek word for cheerful there is hilarion. It's where we get the word hilarious. Giving was never hilarious for me. Can I just be honest? I don't know if it's hilarious for you. It was never hilarious for me. I look at that verse and Paul's saying, God loves a cheerful giver. Every time you give, you're like, <laughs> that's not really the experience I had. Okay? You think about it. You break the verse down. It's like, reluctantly. It says, if you're going to be a cheerful giver, you, you need to learn to give reluctant, uh, uh, not reluctantly. 
most of my giving was reluctant. Because I would always be worrying, do I have enough for right now? If I give, what's going to happen next? Give 10%, the first tenth? I'm not sure if the 100% will make it. And now I'm, I have to now anticipate living on 90? I'm so much of fear gripped my heart, I didn't want to give. And I, when I, I would give, I would give reluctantly. Many times I give under compulsion too. You know, somebody come up and really encourage to give and challenge to give. And I'm going, all right, all right, here you go. <laughs> to get you to stop. Or sometimes, honestly, it was a point of pride. I'd be with somebody I knew I was making more than that person, and that person gave a lot. I was like, oh, I can at least give that much. And it was still compulsion. It was just a different kind of compulsion. I was compelling myself to match and maybe keep up with the Joneses. In reality, my heart was undecided about this whole idea of giving. I was definitely not a cheerful giver. Why not? One story vividly comes to mind, and it's so important for me to say it, and it's kind of embarrassing, can I just admit? It was, I was grade five, I was 11 years old, and it had to do with Coca-Cola. Now, for context, I was raised by a single mom, who, by the way, is here. Okay, mom, can you stand up? You just Some of you looked at her, then you look back at me and go, huh, don't look alike. Yeah, I don't know what happened either. <laughs> anyway, I was, I'm raised by a single mom. And, you know, when you are in that situation, you do everything you can to make ends meet. Right? So uh, we would go to school. We'd be in situations where there would be days where my pants would be too long because she'd buy two sizes bigger to make it last. Or they'd be really short, right? Because... We don't have enough to buy right now, okay? Um, and, you know, she made sure we always had food on the table, and then she gave us allowance. And the allowance I had allowed me just enough money to buy myself a small 12-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola, a slice of pizza, and that was the highlight of my day. Now, I live in a tropical country, okay? We only had two seasons, hot and hot and wet, okay? <laughs> so an ice-cold bottle of Coca-Cola on a hot, sunny, noon day was heaven on earth, all right? And for an 11-year-old, I understood how big a deal that was. And so what I would do was it became a ritual for me. When I discovered Coca-Cola, and I realized if I just managed my money right, every day I'd be able to afford one bottle of Coke and a slice of pizza for lunch. And so what I did was... I would go there and line up and get it. And the moment the guy would take this bottle of Coca-Cola off this, this really, this big chest filled with ice and it just come out of there, I started this ritual. I didn't even understand it. I would just grab it. I'd wait in line. I'd wait for the bottle opener. The bottle opener would open. And i just savor that sound. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Here we go. Here we go. All right. And then my pizza would come and I'd hold it and i I'd sit quietly by myself on this chair. I'd put a straw on. And for 20 minutes, life was perfect. <laughs> now, one particular day, what, what, what happened was I lost my spot. Somebody else, this large group was sitting in my private area where I could sit and enjoy. So I was like, oh, man, I can't sit there. So I grabbed my Coke. I got my 
I got my pizza, I hadn't just started anything, and I went closer to where my class was, and that's where a lot of my friends were playing and everything. I sat down, and here I am about to just start my ritual, right? When one of my friends was running around, they were playing this, playing tag. And just as I lifted up my Coca-Cola, he sees me, and you know, thirsty. He goes, oh, could I have a sip? The, the world slowed down for me in that moment. <laughs> I kid you not. I mean, it just is so vivid for me. I, I still get emotional as I think about this. Um, but what, what, what started to happen was the reluctance. No, in my mind, I was like, absolutely not. Don't you know where I'm coming from here? I can only afford one a day. Uh, this is the one. It's a 12-ounce bottle. It's not even a liter. It, 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 it just every, it's just enough, you know? And, 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 but yet, you know, he's like, so of course, what do you do? I mean, I consider myself a generous person. I gave away pieces of paper. I helped people with homework. I was generous. And so I said, sure, and placed the best fake smile I could give. And I started to hand my coat. And as he just started to grab for it, I, I mean, I just felt it. I'm so embarrassed to admit this. I didn't let go of the bottle. <laughs> I remember it. I held it. And he was trying to get it so he could drink. And I, I just couldn't let it go. And, and, and as he drank, you know, he, 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 he gets a straw and starts to drink. And some of you are thinking, man, that is unhygienic. I was not even thinking of hygiene at that time. I was just thinking, my Coke, this liquid black gold. It just, and there's a red tag there. And, I, and what's starting to happen is, as he starts to sip, I'm watching it. I'm watching it. And the moment it hits the red tag, I pull. He runs off, and I have it, my precious. <laughs> that is so vivid for me. That was the day I discovered the reality of scarcity. That I only had so much. That if I needed to, if I, if, in order for me to get what I needed, I needed to hold on to it, hide it, protect it. There's not enough. And then the verse tells us, excel in this grace of giving. Ouch. I was reluctant. I gave under compulsion. I was not cheerful. And then I come home. I wasn't saved at the time. My mom had started going to church. And we never had enough. And then I find out she started giving to church. And, I, and then I'd watch her Friday night crying herself to bed, praying that we'd have money for Saturday morning so we could do groceries for the week. And in my 11, 12-year-old mind, I was going, then just don't give it away. 
I couldn't understand it. I thought my mom was just being foolish. Now, I'm in church, right? How if you know sometimes God likes doing, using the foolish things? To kind of shame the seemingly wise. I could never understand what was going on until one day somebody explained to me the grace of God and I got saved. And all of a sudden, I got, I, in, I got introduced to the creator of the universe, the one who held it all. And then I started to realize what my mom was doing in the midst of the trying times. She was worshiping a God who had given her more than just money. And yet, I had to still learn this lesson. Because when somebody started to teach me about tithing, it was me with my Coke bottle and a measuring cup going. 12-ounce bottle, there's 1.2. Here you go, God. And even though I tithe, it was still reluctantly under compulsion and not cheerful at all. Ouch. I was not excelling in giving, even though I was giving. Can we really excel in giving? Interesting enough, it's Martin Luther King Day tomorrow. Dr. Martin Luther King, one of his, the most popular quotes he's had was on this topic. And I quote, keep feeling the need for being first, but I want you to be first in what? First in love. I want you to be the first in moral excellence. I want you to be the first in generosity. And one historian, I quote, says, one of the trademark qualities belonging to Martin Luther King Jr. was his desire to be a giver and not a taker. His uncompromising conviction that the key of being great is in being generous. I found out, because you know I didn't grow up with this history, so I read up on it as much as best I could. I found out he won the Nobel Peace Prize, and the Nobel Peace Prize apparently comes with money. I didn't even know that came with money, $54,000 at the time. That's a lot of money. And he donated that. He didn't keep that for himself. He lived out generosity. And he was able to speak and challenge all of us to be first in generosity. Can we excel in giving? Can we? Why? How can we do it? How can we do it? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8. Paul says, I say this not as a command, but as proof, to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. Generosity is one of the great evidences of truly being a Christian. If you really understand the grace of God, the result is you will be generous. When I first gave my life to God, I gave my life to God because of what I was going to get. A ticket of get out of hell card. It was a get out of hell card. That's what I got. And that's why I gave my life to God. But then something started to happen, and this Jesus actually started to act like God in my life. He actually started to tell me what to do. This Jesus who was so generous in me. How do you know when you're in Christ, all of a sudden, Christ is in you? All of a sudden, this Jesus in me kept wanting to give stuff away. And I would deal with this internal struggle. It's like a rebellion in my own soul. I wanted to hold on because of scarcity, and he wanted to give away, seemingly to torment me. 
Let me say this. You can give God your money and still not God your heart, give God your heart, but you cannot give God your heart without giving him your money. Think about it. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's really what it is. You know the grace of Jesus. That though he was rich, for our sake he became poor. So that us, by his poverty, we might become rich. You see, the riches of God was poured out to the Macedonians, and that pouring out in their lives resulted in them pouring what they had to others, even beyond that. Giving rests on the reality of what we have received in Christ. The only reason I can now learn to give and not be reluctant, not be under compulsion, and learn to be cheerful about it, only two ways, either I've gone crazy, or I know there's more where that came from. And in Christ, I've already received more than enough. Everything else is a bonus. If God gives me good health, that's a bonus. If God gives me a new car, that's a bonus. If God gives me extra grace for trying times, that's a bonus. But right now, with only just my salvation, I have already received way more than I've earned or deserved. And if you know that, then like the Macedonians, in verse 3 to 5 it says, you're able to give according to your means, but not just that, and Paul testifies, they gave beyond their means of their own accord. In fact, they begged us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. You see, they begged earnestly for the privilege of being able to give. Every nation is a ministry deploying missionaries out into the world. One of the ways we do that is through partnership development. We cannot afford to employ every single person that needs to go out in the field and answer the call of God to go to the nations or go to the campus. So what happens is it's through generous individuals like you who say, I will give beyond the tithe to help support your work. I can't be on the campus, but you can be on the campus for me. And it's that partnership that we celebrate. Well, one of the guys that, um, one of my friends who was in that partnership program, he was, you know, presenting it, and one person had come up to him and said, can you explain to me what you do? I would like to support you. So they met up, they sat down in a coffee shop, and as he was starting to explain, he started to recognize in the Philippines who he was talking to. She was a nanny in the Philippine context, household help. You know, I was talking about college graduates making around $200. They earned less than 100 And as he realized who he was talking to, he realized the partnership he was raising was three times more what she made. And he started to backtrack. He started to say, oh, he go, oh, oh, so this is what we're doing, this is what we're doing, we're doing this on the campus, but don't worry about it, it's okay. And he stopped. He wasn't going to ask her to partner with him so he could go on the campus and he could complete the, the partnership he was trying to raise. 
she realized what he was doing, and this is what she said. Uh, it still brings me to tears as I think about it. She looked at him and he said, I, wait, can I tell you my testimony? I started coming to church because I'm a nanny, and so my, the kid I would watch would come to church, and I'd sit there, and I started to hear. And I started to like what I heard, to the point that I got saved. And ever since I got saved, even though in the natural, the limitations of what I make is only oh so much, I started to experience God's provision in supernatural ways. Last week, I heard of this opportunity, and I heard God tell me, I've been tithing for a year, and God told me, challenge you to give beyond your tithe. And I saw you, and I said, God's telling me to give to you. And she looked him in the eye and said this, please do not rob me of the opportunity to obey my God. He was thinking in the natural. She was thinking with a grace of giving because she understood the grace of God. So summarizing, the key to generosity is knowing God's grace. Do you know the grace of God? There's this tension that will always be at work in you, the natural tendency to hold on because there's not enough, and this kingdom perspective recognizing in Christ there is more than enough. And I just want to challenge you. Where's your heart? If you know the grace of God, then these verses which we began with and I'm going to close with are powerfully true. Because we know the grace of God, then verse 8, once again, we can say, just as I overflow in this grace of generosity, this grace of giving, I know my God is able to make all grace abound to me so that all things at all times I will have all that I need. In that context, it makes sense. God is giving us so that we could be givers. Next verse, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 10, God is able to supply. He who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, is able to supply and multiply our seed for sowing and increasing the harvest of his righteousness. Stop, think, listen to what he's saying. God gives you two things. Seed for sowing, bread for food. My grandfather was a farmer. He would tell me, you never eat your seed or else you will have no harvest. And when times get tough, you defend the seed so that you can ensure a future harvest. Have we been eating our seed? Is that the reason why there is no supply? It's not because of a provision situation. It's because we've been consuming our future harvest. Wow, if, if I understand this grace of giving, all of a sudden my hands start to let go of things I'm grasping onto so much, and I am able to prepare a future harvest. Bountiful harvest. Whew. He is able to supply. And finally, you will be enriched in every way. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 11. So we could be generous in every way. Does God promise you that you will be rich? He promises you, you will be enriched for sure. Why? We like that first part. To be generous in every way. Who does he give the enriching to? 
to the one he can entrust generosity on. He's like, you're practicing generosity. I can run everything through you because you don't hold on to it for yourself. And in doing so, his ultimate glow results thanksgiving to God. Last picture, and we'll close and pray. What is this picture? This is a picture of a construction in a nation I can't name, in an every nation church, where it's illegal to preach the gospel outside, but in your own facility, you can. And so, a church of under 100 raised over $50,000 to start this in another nation where $50,000 is a lot of money. This church helps sow into that. You are blessing the nations with a future harvest. I can't wait to hear the testimonies of about what's going to happen because the gospel is going to get preached there. That's current. That's where it is right now. It's not yet done. But they're using what they've been given to be able to produce thanksgiving for God in a nation that currently does not recognize Christ as Lord. So what's the conclusion here? God is able to make all grace abound to you and to me so that all things at all times we will have all that we need to excel in God's grace of giving. Amen? Amen. Amen. Can you stand up with me and we'll pray? Lord, we talk about your amazing grace and what you've done for us. The crazy thing is what you've done for us doesn't stop with just what we get. It overflows and it results in our hearts contrary to our natural tendencies wanting to give. If you're here and you do not know the grace of God, I want to challenge you. Don't leave today without getting to know what that is. Could you come forward? The ministry team's going to be here in front. Please ask somebody to explain it to you and pray with you if you're here. And if you're here and you know the grace of God, but you know you give reluctantly, you know you give under compulsion, you are not cheerful when it comes to your giving, then ask God for a revelation of what you already have in Him. Lord, help us to excel in this grace of giving. Help us to be cheerful givers. Help us to know you are able to make all grace abound to us. You are able to supply. You will enrich us in every way so that we could be generous in every occasion. Ultimately, so that we could bring greater glory to the one who deserves all glory and honor and praise. Thank you for the chance we get to worship you with what we have and go even beyond that. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've watched this message and you want to make Jesus Lord of your life, I've got good news. You can do it right now. I want you to pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life for the rest of my life. I acknowledge I am a sinner. I need you, my Savior. I believe you died for me. I believe you were raised from the dead on the third day. And I confess that you are now Lord of my life. If you've just prayed that prayer, I have good news for you. You have eternal life. The next step for you is to get in a Bible-believing church. We volunteer to be that church. But if not us, 
We pray God's blessings on you as you search for God's best for you. Thank you. Bethel World Outreach Church. Reaching a city to touch the world.